Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. So thankful to be with you today. We're concluding our series called Belong. And we've been asking these questions of like, what does it mean to belong? And what are these entry steps really to belonging to the family of God? And we've been talking about these ideas of being empowered by the Holy Spirit and, and being one with Him and, and, and being you know, ever-present with the Savior. And today there's this, uh, this topic that we haven't really covered so much yet, and that's the idea of what does it mean to be connected. Uh, connected both to God, but also to His family. What does it mean to be a part of, of the family of God? And that's the question we're trying to answer today is, what, you know, what, am, what am I to do in order to be a part of all of this? And just recently I got back, and you can post this picture for me really quick. Um, this is, this, these are my people. Um, I got back just a couple of weeks ago from a, a family reunion. And uh, it takes commitment to, to keep your family going. Um, the bigger and bigger it gets, it gets harder and harder all the time. And, and I'm, I'm young in the scheme of things, but I know uh, you, many of you are experiencing this and, and more fullness even than I. But in order to do this, we've had to set aside time to see each other. The people that used to keep us together aren't with us anymore. They've graduated to heaven. And so my grandmother, who was like the knitting, like the, the glue that kept us all at one, uh, she's on with Jesus now. And so we have to take extra steps and go, okay, we're going to set aside for us Labor Day. We're trying to see each other. And we go to them once every other year, and they come to us on the other. So we spent some time with them. And um, the thing is, this photo reminds me when I look at it of like who to pray for. And so... Not everyone in my family, I think, is walking with Christ. Um, I think they know Him. It's hard to be a part of our clan and not at least be accustomed to, to the Savior. And I'm not just talking about the fact that my dad's a pastor, I'm a pastor. This thing goes way back. There have been pastors in my family for decades. It's kind of wild what God has done in our family. And my grandmother, for instance, was a famous gospel singer kind of in the Appalachian area for many years. So you couldn't really dodge knowledge. But I would argue this distance right here is maybe the greatest distance on the earth to move it from here to here. And I worry sometimes, not worry, but I pray for diligently my cousins and my loved ones that have it here, but I don't see it here. And so that's the question today is, did you know that God, way bigger than that picture, God wants you to be a part of His family? And He wants you to be connected. I'm not just talking about entry points and salvation. All of that is necessary. Putting your yes on the table with Christ, that's necessary, but that's just the beginning. He wants to really be a part of your life. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. What a wonderful image. In other words, God wants us to be a part of His family photo. The thing He wants to hang on His refrigerator, I guess, the thing that's in His wallet, is a picture of us. A, a huge picture of the saints of old up to today, up until when He returns. God wants us to be a part. But here's what happens. Sin or other things, priorities, these things separate us and cause us often to isolate ourselves. Like there's this, this bitter need sometimes from us to be alone or, or this, this, this crazy thought that comes to mind that the best thing I can do for me right now is to separate myself from the people who really care and love me. It's human nature. If you've done this, if you're doing this, don't feel discouraged, but understand it's not God's best. Understand He's got a better plan. Genesis 3 <laughs> This is the initial time that this happened, and human, humanity's really been like this ever since. After the fall of man, Genesis 3.8, it says, When they heard the Lord God walking in the garden during the cool part of the day, and the man and his wife, they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? I think God's still doing this and in many ways, calling out to us, and we are hiding. We're isolating. That distance we feel from God, I believe it's 100% of the time on our end, um, but he, he comes like a gentleman. Where are you? And when God confronts him, Genesis 3.12, it says, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So not only in that moment did man isolate himself from God, but he isolated himself from her too. <laughs> he said, I want nothing to do with that. This is human nature. 
if this is who you've been, don't feel discouraged, but know this. God's got better. He's got way better for you. And isolation, those struggles. I wonder, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Feeling a sense of isolation, loneliness? Do you feel disconnected from God, from His family? Do you feel disconnected here? Maybe you've been attending for a while. I want to work on that today. I want to be a part of a church that's serious about, certainly serious about our relationship with the Savior. That's first and foremost. But also serious about being, being the actual body of Christ as is described in the first century here in the Bible. Not many churches have really gotten there. I mean, far from it. Most of us don't get close to what we see where we're going to be in the book of Acts today. It's really difficult to get there, and sometimes we make a lot of excuses, but sometimes it's our own hurts and hang-ups that cause us to isolate. What would it look like to really be connected, to really love God and love one another? In the book of Acts today, we see Luke here recording the, the first century church and their devotion. And this is going to sound very familiar to some of you who have been on this journey for a while, but I promise you God has something new and fresh for you today. I promise you He does. He always does. His Word says it never returns void. We model, just so you know, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and some of you are like, huh. Because if you're in a good small group, this is something you talk about all the time. And there's a reason for that. People don't have a tendency to remember things well. You can shove it into their brains, and they'll, they'll forget it in moments. But we've been shoving this down our people's throats for years. Acts 2.42. And most of you, especially the shepherds in the room, know what those things are. There's four devotions in the church and it separates them from any other community that exists. And that's what we want to be, but it's bigger than that. It's way bigger than what we do once a week at a small group. And so we see here Luke talking about these devotions, and this is what the family of God is supposed to look like, and we can do this. We can look like this too by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can devote ourselves just like this. So let's dig in. We're going to see these four devotions easily, clearly. There's no doubt about it. Acts chapter 2. I was in the wrong book there. I don't even know. Y'all were about to get something out of 1 John. I don't know what that was going to be. It's going to be good though. Not as good as where we're going though. Acts, two, Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. Let this uh, wash over you afresh today. It says in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, they were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. That's amazing. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. I have to apologize to you this week that when I read this again, I had to have a conversation with God. I've read this thing countless times and I had to ask Him again, Lord, is this even possible? This type of church, is it possible? Because I haven't seen it, but just in spurts. Like this is, this is amazing kind of stuff. Sure, we could talk for days about the wonders and the signs that were being done, but there's something miraculous happening just in the day-to-day -day activity of the people. That they would have all things in common. That they would spend so much time together. I, for, for all of the wonder that is living in this country and all of the blessings, and they are many, one of the things that's not a blessing is that we are generally isolationists. It's just who we are as a people. We're independently minded, and it makes us... Powerful or strong in some ways, but in a gospel sense, it's not so good. We have a tendency, we love our garages with doors that we can hit buttons so we don't have to ever see anybody. We really love the possibility that we could get to and from work every day without interacting with more people than is necessary in this life. And I'm that way too. I'm not trying to say that's you. That's definitely me. And my natural bend is to like totally avoid folks. And yet, this picture, I'm humbled by it. I'm looking at it again and going, okay, what? first of all, what has to change in me? Because something's got to shift. I've got to have a new mind. And it happens, I believe, personally first. So these four devotions, we talk about this in church a lot. But they start at home. They start in your heart. And so the first is this. How do, 
How do we be connected to God's family as God's family? First is by devoting or being devoted to the studying of God's Word together. Now this starts personally. It's a personal devotion and then it's a corporate one. This word devoted is the idea of continual. It's a participle here with continuous action. This is the idea of steadfastly, constantly, consistently devoting, focusing on. They didn't stop doing this. This isn't a one-off. This isn't something that separated them in this moment in time. No, it was a lifestyle change for these people that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This thing, the didache apostolone, that's the idea of what is being taught by John and by the early disciples and by Paul and all of these things. And what are they teaching? They're teaching the Old Testament and how Christ fulfilled it. They're getting the Torah. They're getting the Tanakh. They're getting that information, which most of which they've been accustomed to. And now, in Christ Jesus, they're getting new insight. These things, this apostles' teaching, is what we now know as the New Testament. This is what they're receiving. And they're in awe about it. Verse 43 says there was much awe. This is the word phobos. It's interesting in the text. It could mean fear, but in this sense, it's this idea of the fear of God. The reverence of God fell on the people. They had a sense of awe for what He was doing, for what He had already done. Just imagine that. Imagine being patiently waiting on this fulfillment of all this prophecy and all this stuff we've been waiting on. We sometimes miss that. And yet now it's been fulfilled. There's awe and reverence. And now there's miracles happening. And these things are still happening, my friends. They're happening all around you. Sometimes we, we write them off as good science or we write them off as this or that. But miracles are happening all the time. There's a very, the very miracle is the one that's occurring in many of our hearts that God would get a hold of us and change us. So what a miracle that is. When it happens in a young person, you'll see it for what it is. When it happens in your children, you go, Wow. Thank you, God, for that. Because there's no human words that are good enough to save the human heart. Yet God can do it and has done it many times. And so this is wonderful, wonderful news here. What we see, the awe and the wonder. And studying this word together and, and learning how to apply it to their lives. Paul writes in Colossians 3, he says, Let the word of, of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Let it dwell in you richly. That means it's overflowing. It's bubbling up to the surface. It's kind of like this, and most of you, I would say all of you, there's some bit of information that you're so filled with that you could like spout it off. Maybe it's something that you've done in your life and career for a long time. Some of you have been in the same job or career path for so long that if somebody was to ask you some bit of information, boy, it's on the tip of your tongue. You're ready to let it go. Some of you, you know, the doctors and those people who have been in school for so long and now you've been in your craft for so long, like that stuff is just rooted in your mind. This is what he's talking about here, that this stuff, this Word of God would be so rooted in you that it just comes out. It just bubbles to the surface when you face trials, when you face joy. When people ask questions, it just bubbles up. He says, let it dwell in you richly. Notice the rhythm here. The rhythm of the first century church. It says later in Acts 5.42, it says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They didn't cease. They couldn't stop. <laughs> they couldn't help themselves. The Word of Christ was bubbling up constantly. I wonder something like... Is the Word of God, and this, this idea of salvation in Christ Jesus, the immensity of His grace to me, is it bubbling up constantly? Sometimes, yes. Other times, I think it's me. <laughs> it's not the Word or has lost some sort of fervency or power in my life. It's that I've set it as second priority or I'm not letting it, as it says, dwell in me richly. This is, means I, I'm being filled with it constantly. It raises some questions and Certainly we could talk all about small groups together and I would encourage all of you that this is, this is the rhythm of our church. It's the rhythm of our church that we're trying to get close to the first century church. And I admit, we have an uphill battle. We need to be honest about this. We have a very uphill battle because there's so many things that hold our attention. 
So many things other than fellowship with Christ and fellowship with one another. There's a thousand things in between. And that's for you to decide and your list to unpack. But this is just one of many things. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're, if you're in a community group here at our church, let me, let, let me just say this, it's not enough. It's not even getting close. It's not close. It's just one of our attempts as a church to help you try to be this church. But these relationships have to be built over time, day by day, where you can really call somebody up and say, I'm not well. I am, I am sick. I need help. I need, I need uh, something taken care of. I don't have the strength to do it. That we would have the ability, as it says here in, the, in these mid-verses, that we would literally have all things in common, that nobody would have need. What a, what a blessing that would be to be a part of that church. So what are we doing to be together, to be studying His Word together? We've introduced all kinds of things. We do life on life together. This is this idea of discipling one another one-on-one. And that is meant, just so you know, some of you have been through this together. And some of you, I've been through the conversation with you. It's meant to be ongoing. So some of my guys, I know who you are. We finished... But we didn't finish. We started something that should be an ongoing accountability, an ongoing opportunity for conversation where we talk about the Word of God together and how it's impacting our lives. It's just the beginning. I hope that's happened. I feel like those guys, you know, I don't see them like I wish, but those guys I've been in that conversation with, I know them better and they know me better than most of you. And that's a wonder. That's a really beautiful thing. I wonder, is this happening at home? This is the thing that hit me this week is, yeah, there's the corporate aspect of our devotion to His Word. And we try our best to do that as a church. But what's happening at Jonathan's house? <laughs> what's happening in your, in your home? I teach, you know what's really sad? I teach people often how to have a Bible study. I teach them whether it's discipleship or whether you, if you go on the men's retreat with us, and shameless plug, it's in a couple of weeks, men, come on and hang out with us. But we teach every year this thing called soap. Soap, right? Every day you should use soap. That's good instruction, all right? But, uh, but it's an acronym to describe Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. It's very simple. It's a way of looking at the Bible and getting meaning out of it and applying it and then praying over it. That's the point of it. I've taught this many times to many men, to youth. I haven't taught it to my kids. That baffled me this week. I was considering that and going, well, what, what, what am I waiting on on that? I'm not sure. My, my kids see me do devotions sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And Am I doing this with my children? Am I doing this with my household? Teaching them how to study His Word. Having corporate fellowship in the Word in my home. I wonder if, if that's hard to do. No wonder it's exponentially harder to do with people you don't even know very well. That was my big what if this week, and I want to—I want the Lord to help me with that. I'm praying, being prayerful about it. And I wonder, will you commit to this too? We hear the word preach Sunday after Sunday, but look, friend, this distance, head to heart, it has to happen alone and with the family of God. Here's the second devotion. This one we really like. Let's just be honest. This is our favorite. Be devoted to fellowshipping together. Fellowshipping together. This is the idea. This word is koinonia. It's the idea of participation. It's having community. A lot of times we think of this word fellowship as like, this is the fun stuff, right? <laughs> That's how we often treat it when we get together. It's like, all right, this is the part where we remember each other's birthdays and stuff like that. And we, and we take care of each other. We eat together. And, and this is this bonding of fellowship. But I want you to understand something. I don't often go back and look at previous texts. But this one's important because I want you to understand what led to this. If you go back a few verses in Acts chapter 2, you see Peter preaching. The Holy Spirit has fallen. The Pentecost has occurred. And, 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 and Peter gets up and preaches what I would argue is some pretty heavy stuff. If I preach like that, I don't know. I feel like our numbers, maybe they would grow. But I got a good feeling I could figure out how to make them dwindle a little bit with the kind of preaching that Peter lays on them. He... <laughs> and, and I was always taught in seminary, good preaching is not accusatory. All right, Good preaching is we can. It, it invites you in. And, and you'll notice if you pay attention, that's the kind of preaching I try to do. It's like, I'm in this with you. We're both messed up. We can do this. That's this, 
This kind of preaching, that's not what Peter does here. I really should go back and talk to my seminary professor. and like, is every once in a while accusation good? Every once in a while? I don't know. Maybe if the Holy Spirit falls on you, my friend, you can do it. I shouldn't say maybe. Absolutely. That's what's different about this text. Peter comes out and says, you nailed Jesus to the cross. He's looking at the house of Judaism. He's looking at many Jews from all over the world who have come there for Pentecost, for the celebration. He says, the cornerstone, you've rejected it. This Jesus, you nailed Him to the cross, but... So it's accusation. The word you is in there like crazy. I almost see Him knife-handing the people, and yet by the power of God, He says, look, repent and be baptized. Repent and come to Christ. And 3,000 people got saved. 3,000. That's, that's phenomenal. It's interesting preaching. This is the fellowship that they were coming into. This fellowship in Christ Jesus is unique. It's bigger than birthdays. It's, it's bigger than sharing your work week. I hope you're getting there with the fellowship of believers. So that you're really having communion with them and letting them see your heart. That takes time. For some of you, it's quicker. Some of you have been so good about revealing your heart so that you can get healing. But some of us are very closed off. We have a hard time really letting people know, guess what? Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm having trouble in my marriage. Here's what I'm not talking about. I hate my job. Here's what I'm not talking about. Because if I talk about it with my spouse, or it scares them and Now I can open up in the fellowship and the community of believers and all can have all things in common. This is that moment where we all go, you know what? Here's the beauties, here's the joys, here's the praises. Sometimes when we pray, we say it's like, all right, give me your praises and prayers. Jacob does this a lot. Give me your praises and your prayers, all of that. So what's going good, what's going bad? And we have all these things in common. And we're revealing the heart of it. That's authentic fellowship. And it's also based around this idea, friends, it's based around this idea of repentance. Repent and be baptized. We share a common bond of repentance together that we can look at each other in the eyes and say, guess what I am? Just like you, your sin's a little different, but I'm having some problems here. And that we share in the fellowship of repentance. We share in the, in the fellowship of baptism. That this is this public confession of faith. Look, we're having a baptism in just a couple of weeks. If you're waiting on that, if you're holding up on that, I want you to understand the value of that as a public opportunity to let people know, I believe in Christ, I'm unashamed, I'm a part of the community of believers, and I want y'all to know. I want y'all to see that. I've heard it often described like this. like we, We could go down to the courthouse and we could get married, and we would be married by the state's authority. But we do these wedding ceremonies, sometimes it's a lot for the bride. But what it really should be about is the family. It's that people can see you say I do and put the rings on and that people know they're one flesh. They are one. And that's similar to what baptism's all about. That we get to, in front of our, our, our peers, in front of those we love most, I'm Christ's, I'm His, we are one. Repent and be baptized. This is what they shared in common. I wonder, friends, if you're not in community groups, well, some of you in the room are in community groups. I want to ask you this. Are you being open in those places? Are you revealing your heart there? Are you giving them opportunity to see who you really are? Are you repenting in that place? Because there's power in corporate repentance. It's hard to explain, but it's part of what they're doing and what we should be doing. But if you're not involved in that, do you have someone in your life you can hold that holds you accountable, that you can talk about this really deep stuff with. I'm not talking about your husband, your wife. I'm talking about someone that you can pour out to (laughs) that'll tell you the truth. I would say I'll I'll tell my wife the truth, but it's scarier for me because if I tell her the truth, some things she's praying about are about me. So then I have to do this wild... When she tells me this sometimes, all right, Jonathan, today, right now, I need you to be Pastor Jonathan. I want you to know I don't know how to do that. I don't. I want you right now for just a moment to not be husband Jonathan. I want you to be Pastor Jonathan. These two, I feel like I'm Iron Man. Like I'm Tony Stark. I'm Iron Man. We're one. You can't separate us. I'm always in the suit. And I'm always... That's how I feel. So when she says, I need Pastor Jonathan. But it's about me? 
My mind explodes. That's why she needs people. I need people in my life sometimes to talk about things that we're wrestling with in our marriage, in our parenting. We all need this. That's real fellowship, sharing all things in common, each having what they need. This is what Hebrews speaks of, this idea of accountability, of encouragement, of stirring one another up. It says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I wonder, do you have some, do you have some cheerleaders in your team? Boy, we all need some of these. This is what I picture. Do you have some people beside you that are like, go, you can do it, run hard, go. There's not many people like that in the world. There's just, there's not many. But in the house of God, there should be many. Says you can. I'm praying for my father. He doesn't know the Lord. Friend, you can do this. I'm praying for you. Go have the conversation. God can do it. That's what the community of believers should be about. Do you have some, some, some cheerleaders in your house? <laughs> in your camp? Devoted to fellowship, we we recognize so much the necessity of the Spirit. Look at Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Fellowship. Fellowship. Now, some of you, some of you neglect the fellowship from time to time, and I understand you, and I know why you do it. It's because people are, are a pain in the butt sometimes, they just are. There's people in your life. There's people in this room. Don't look at them right now because that's super uncomfortable and we have to talk about that later, right? But there's, there might be some people, there's a reason you guys sit on the right. There's somebody over here on the left. You're like, eh. I'm just kidding. But th- th- it's happening. I guarantee you there's just a few people in here that are like, they make you feel a little itchy when they get around you. And it happens all over your life like it happens when you're at work. It happens in your neighborhood. There's just, gosh, I hope I don't bump into such and such today. Like, ugh. <laughs> Fellowship of believers is like this. Like it's like the church, just so you know, it's preparation for heaven. These people that you're going to spend eternity with, that itchy feeling, it's going to come away. It's going to rub off. All right, it's going to get, maybe you'll get itchy right along with them. Let's just, this is what the fellowship, it's like a good salad, you know. Not, not everybody likes the same kind of stuff in it, but I think God's throwing it all in. He's throwing it all in there. He likes spicy peppers. He likes the ordinary lettuce. He likes the smelly cheese. He likes all of that. The crunchy carrots, the tomatoes. Some of you would like to think you're just the ordinary lettuce or maybe you're the topping that's like, I'm the dressing. But you're probably the smelly cheese. And God still loves you. And our job as the house of God is to be on that with Him. What is it that He loves in you? Christ Jesus in you. That's what He really loves. I can love that too. I love that we're on the same mission together. I love that we would come into a place like this when a lot of people are sleeping in today. And the reason we do it is because we want an experience with a holy God. And we want to be with the people who love Him too. I don't care if you're the smelly cheese. I'm probably something worse. He's the dressing. He's the one that makes it all stick and work. Have you made a public confession of faith through baptism? Have you joined in? Are you active? Are you fellowshipping with others? I, I hope that this is enjoyable being here with us for the hour, hour and a half that we're here on Sundays. But this is just a smidge of fellowship. So much bigger than this. Here's the third devotion. Be devoted to breaking bread together. Be devoted to breaking bread together. Now we need to, be, we need to confront this honestly. It says the breaking of bread. So the most clear interpretation here is they're talking about the Lord's Supper. They're talking about communion. They had a devotion to this. Why? Because Jesus told them to have a devotion to this. The word often is used there when describing it. That often when you eat of this, think of me, remember me, proclaim my death. This is the attitude that they had together. And they had, they had a, uh, it seems in their services, a common habit of what, what you might call an agape feast, a love feast together. That they would eat meals together seemingly weekly. And Paul has all these other prescriptions I don't want to get into today about how to approach the Lord's Supper and don't come hungry and don't overeat. and like That stuff kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to us because the way we've done communion for many years is 
a simple thing. But for them, it was more of a piece of a meal like Christ had done it. And I would suggest friends do this with the body of believers from time to time. Whether it's in small group, whether it's over a meal. You can, did you know you can do this? Did you know you can break bread with a friend at, at San Jose and say, you know what, right now I want to remember the body and blood of Christ. I want to remember what He's done for me today. You know that's okay too. It's, it's a remembrance. It's a proclamation. But this is a part of our habit. It should be a part of our process. Look in Acts 2.46, it says, They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There's generosity. There's gladness. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. I want you to understand something, church. I, I would hate for us to begin to have some kind of rote piece of worship that we do every week together. That this thing we do at the end of service, which should be impactful, which should be important, that somehow we would just snap our fingers and do this every week. I hope, friends, and I, I may not be the best at, at proclaiming it every time, but I really do try to get you in the mood to come to those tables and say, and picture Christ Jesus on the cross for your sake. We need to come to that table humbly. We need to come to that notion with our knees bowed and our heads bowed and our, our hearts heavy, remembering what He's done. But also with the joy and the hope that comes knowing He is risen. The resurrection, all of this stuff. Let's not get to some point in our worship where it's just, well, here's the Lord's Supper piece. Shame on us for that. Is this not a participation, he argues, in the body of Christ? Breaking bread together. It recognizes His blessing. Luke writes in his Gospel, Luke 24, he says, when He, this, this He is Jesus, was at table with them, He took the bread and He blessed it and He broke it and He gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. There's like this pleasant thing. They hadn't, this is on the road to Emmaus where they hadn't recognized the resurrected Jesus yet and He breaks bread with them and they're like, aha, it's Him. And then He does one of His many... Uh, Vanishing moments scares everybody to death. They recognize that it was Christ. Look, friends, shared meals matter. Now I'm going to go a direction with this that's, I think, really important because for all of these, there's the corporate aspect and then there's the immediate personal aspect. The corporate aspect is this. Something amazing happens when you eat with people. Some, it's just the way God has built us. So if you have a hard conversation, and I've had people joke with me about this, that if I ask you, hey, let's go do lunch. Or the, the old one was, hey, let's go have coffee. I'm not doing that anymore because I'm trying to throw you off the scent. All right? I'm trying to throw you off the scent. So people would say, if, if a pastor asks you or somebody in leadership asks you to go have coffee, it's going to be a reprimand or something. For me, that's really not the case. If I'm asking you to have a meal, it's because I'm trying to figure something out or I'm, I'm seeing something in you uh, that I think the Lord is, is moving. And, and, and I, or maybe, maybe... This is crazy. Maybe I just want to get to know you. <laughs> Maybe I just want to know what you're about. Um, but I always invite people to a meal. And I found more and more people are kind of baffled by that. Like, I'll invite them over to my house to have dinner. And they're like, why does the pastor want me to come over to have dinner? Uh, because I think there's value in sitting down and having food. And we have to look at each other. Now, I, I would argue this is something that you should be doing with your family. There's all kinds of statistics I could get into, but I don't think that really matters. What matters is that it's biblical, <laughs> is that it's, it's something they devoted themselves to as Christians in His church. I was talking to somebody recently, a fellow believer, and we were talking about shared meals with our family. And he was like, you know what? I do it a lot. I'm like, how's it go? Well, we sit together, we get our dinner TV trays out, and we turn the TV on. I'm like... Close. Close. You almost got there. Put the TV trays down. You know, that other room, some of you have, have, lost, have lost this room, I know. There's a room in your house that we used to call the dining room. All right, I know it's full of your junk right now. 
and the table is covered in boxes, all right? Do what you got to do. Just move the boxes to the side. Put some chairs out. But, okay, I'll tell you what. Maybe, can we at least have Alexa on playing some music? No, 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 no. I want quiet. Because guess what won't happen? Quiet. It won't happen. All of a sudden, if you have kids like me, it's, that is the loudest moment in my life. Those four kids, you know what they want to do? They want to talk. They want me to hear about their day. This thing that I hear parents talking about where they have to beg their kids to hear about their day, just sit them silent for a little while. They'll explode. They can't do it. They live in such a world of constant interaction and constant... They don't understand silence. They'll explode. And you'll be happy about it because you'll get to hear their heart. Now, I know, it'll be loud. And there are moments where I look across the table at my wife and go, should have stopped at zero. Like, it's the, it's the, book, I, it's the book I'm going to write one day. It's going to be a joke, all right? It's going to be, should have stopped at zero, and then how I survive for kids. You know, something like that. You're going to love it. This is our running joke, but that moment is pleasant, and that moment can't happen with distraction. Are you doing that at your house? I, this isn't a joke. This isn't like a, a great what if. It works. It worked at my house. It worked at my parents' parents' house. It's working now. It's communication. And it happens at small groups. It happens in fellowship with believers too. Go to places where it's quiet and eat together. Maybe stay away from Buffalo Wild Wings when you're supposed to hang out with friends because you, you know what will happen? You put me and William Page, for instance, today, if me, me and you went and had lunch at B-Dubs today, we wouldn't say two words. We'd be watching people throw pigskin. That's what we'd be doing. Cool, I'm, I'm down for that. But that ain't communion. That's something else. That's celebration. There's time for that. But if we're trying to sit down and really share, remove distraction. There's something special that happens when you eat together. Here's the fourth devotion. And this one, it's like the capstone. If, if the Word of God is the cornerstone, the prayer is the capstone. Be devoted to praying together. This word is the prayers in verse 42. It doesn't say they prayed. It says the prayers. It's interesting. It has a definite article. This means there's a multiplicity of praying. They were doing all kinds of prayers. Prayers of repentance. Prayers of boldness. You see the Peter and John and some of the other apostles praying for courage and boldness and praying for the gospel to go out. Praying for their own brokenness. There's just a mixture. Praying for healing. All of this is occurring. The prayers. And they grew in their, in their prayer life. One writer writing on this, this is in a book called Nine Prophets of Praying with Company. He writes, Praying together is one of the single most significant things we can do to cultivate unity in the church. There is a unity that is given to those who are partners in Christ and share spiritual life in Him. Praying together is both an effect of the unity we share in Christ and it is a cause for deeper and richer unity. It is not only a sign that unity already exists among brothers, it's the catalyst for more. This past Thursday, we had a small group in here and I, I, could see, I saw that happen. Those of you who were here with me, we were praying for some of you. We were praying for healing in the church. We were praying for relationships. We were praying for the gospel to go out. We were praying for stuff that we're struggling with. And there's a closeness. There's a bond that happens over prayer. If, if you're praying with your kids, there's a bond. There's a unity that grows in that. If you're praying with your wife, if you're praying with your husband, there's a newness in that. You know what I have a hard time doing? I can look her in the face and tell her I'm okay. I can't do that with God. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. But I wish I could be, I wish I could like put the wall up, but I can't. The Holy Spirit just trashes it. And as soon as I start praying, I'm like, I'm boohooing like a baby sometimes. And then she sees it and knows my real heart. Do you understand? Praying together is unifying and praising God. Part of their prayer life was praises. And having favor, and what's the Lord doing? Verse 47, He is adding to their number. I've heard it said before, if we will be the church, God will build the church. I, I know that's true. That's why more and more I'm not so hung up on like trying to figure out how to grow a thing, how to grow a big church. I need to be more and more like Jesus every day. If I'm doing that wrong, He can't build His church. 
If I would just be the pastor He's called me to be, be the Christ-following believer He's called me to be, He will send the harvest. And I've got to trust that. I've got to trust the process that if I will become the man He's desired me to be, He will give me opportunity for the gospel. Be devoted to all kinds of prayers. Ephesians, Paul writes, chapter 6, Pray in the Holy Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Don't get tired of this. Church, don't get tired of praying. Oh, I prayed that a hundred times. Some of you are like this with your repentance. God, I have asked you to remove this umpteen times and here it is again. Pray never ceases. The power of prayer. I wonder sometimes if God, it just takes time, not on His part, but for our heart to change. For us to say, you know what? I really believe you can do something in my life here. And I'm going to stop giving you empty words. And I'm going to pray like I mean it. And I'm going to believe on the power that God, you can heal me in this area. Whether it's repentance, whether it's something, maybe it's, maybe it's sickness. Pray like you mean it. Like you believe it and see what God can do. And it's up to Him. It's His will. But we pray and we keep on praying. I love the note here. It says, be devoted to pray one another. James writes in chapter 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I want to share, I want to close with a story for you that it's from a book um, on, a, on a man named Tony Campolo. Some of you might be familiar with that name. One favorite story about him is a prayer, a prayer time he was having. A prayer meeting was held for him right before he was about to speak in a chapel service. And eight men had him kneel and laid their hands on his head and began to pray. And that's a good thing, Tony wrote, except that they prayed a long time. <laughs> And the longer they prayed, the more tired they seemed to be getting and the more they were pressing in on my head. <laughs> the more they leaned in. And to make matters worse, this is hilarious, to make matters worse, one of the men was not even praying for Tony. He went on and on praying for somebody named Charlie Stoltzfus. Dear Lord, you know Charlie? He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord just down the road on the right-hand side. Now, <laughs> Tony asked himself, now was it really necessary to furnish God the directions? Don't you, think, don't you think God knows? Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. God, would you step in and do something? Bring that family back together. <laughs> this is what Tony's hearing. After he delivered this message, that for the chapel service, he got in his car and began to drive home. He drove onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike and he noticed a hitchhiker. He says, you know, I think I'll stop in and see what this guy needs. We drove, I picked him up, we drove for a few minutes and I said, hey, my name's Tony Campolo. What's yours? Where are you going? He said, well, my name's Charlie Stoltzfus. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He began to get a bit uneasy, thinking after a few minutes, hey, mister, where are you taking me? This is scary stuff. And I said to him, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked, why? I asked, because you left your wife and three kids, right? <laughs> that blew him away. Yeah, that's right. And with shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door, never took his eyes off me. And then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer on the right-hand side of the road. When I pulled in, his eyes, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know where I lived? And I said, God told me. <laughs> For as far as he could tell, God had told him. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with some real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk to you and you two are going to listen. And man, did they listen. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. There's power in prayer, even sometimes when it makes a lot of, of little of sense. Why in the world is this guy praying for Charlie right now? God's so funny sometimes. He's so ironic sometimes. That word ironic is foolish even when you're talking about God because He's planning. <laughs> He's purposeful.
Sometimes I don't understand why it is I'm praying for a thing. Why it is I'm hung up on a particular thing. And I often see later, you know what, God was really trying to stir and move my heart. Sometimes I miss those moments, but I'm trying to listen better. I wonder, friends, will you commit to praying for one another? Pray for the stuff that you're like, do I really need to lift lift that up? (laughs) You might be praying for Charlie at small group and then I get the chance. I get the chance. I don't even know him. What what an opportunity this is. Pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer. Let it be a devotion in your life. Pray with your family daily. Pray with your wife, your husband daily. Pray without ceasing. And watch God work miracles in your life over and over again. As I close, I want to bring that family photo back up. I've had a heavy heart this week on a lot of levels. Um, And I want to give you opportunity This is something we don't do often, but I'm happy to do it more and more if you desire it. Um, My brother here, Rich, is with us today. After service today, we're going to do what's written in the book of James, and I'm going to read that for you. And James chapter 5 has written this. James chapter 5, it says in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. After service, if you desire, we're going to bring my brother down. You can stand or sit, whatever's best for you, my friend. Uh, And we're going to lay hands on him and anoint him with oil and pray for him. The Bible tells us to do that. We're calling the elders down. We're calling the church down to pray for him. He's found out he's got stage 3 cancer. Uh, And it's very aggressive. That's what we're learning. Um, But at the same time, you guys have a great deal of hope in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful for you. Um, And that there's hope that, well, you know what God can do? He can do anything. It's up to Him what He wants to do. But we can fight. And I think Rich has got some fight in him yet. So he's got an aggressive process ahead of him to deal with this. Um, But for me, um, amongst that, amongst praying and thinking about you and having a heavy heart for you, at the same time, my uncle, who I just saw two weeks ago, the guy on the far right there with a big goofy grin on his face, had multiple strokes over the last week or so, possibly previously that they didn't, he didn't know about and was just working through somehow. I don't even know how that's possible, but he wasn't himself that weekend. He was, he was more spastic than normal, and he's always kind of a wild man, but he was super spastic. Anyway, he hasn't woken back up yet, church. They had to cut his skull open to let it the pressure come off because his brain was swelling so badly. And he survived that. Uh, he's on a ventilator. They believe the piece of his brain that was most affected, which controls optics, has died. So even if he survives, the doctors believe he'll never see again. I can't really fathom that. We're talking about a guy that was like a big brother to me um, and has been like such joy in my life and in my family. And so... I'm praying with like a really heavy heart for you guys, for my family. And so, but I'm not stopping believing. As this verse says, devotion to prayer. Let me not fall short in prayer at a season like this. Man, let me never fall short of praying. This Friday is his birthday. He'll be 53 this Friday. I'm praying for him. I pray, I hope that you'll pray for him because guess what? He's not just my blood. He's our brother in Christ. We're going to spend eternity with a lot of those people right there and a lot of you and your families will be there and I ask that you be praying for Him as we also pray for Rich. God wants us to be family. This is what families do. They commit. They get devoted to one another. And we center ourselves, what? On the Word of God. On fellowshipping together. Having meals, breaking bread, the Lord's Supper together. And we pray. Let's finish today with prayer to the Father. Dear Lord, we ask now, would You do the thing in us that really only You can do, and that is to make us one. We come from all kinds of walks of life. That great, that great fellowship You're creating for heaven, for eternity, sometimes we have struggles with it because we don't, we don't always get along with everybody. We don't always have the ability to open up like we should. We kind of we stonewall people. We, we put walls up on our heart because we're either we're afraid or we're just 
we don't see the point of it or maybe we don't understand there's healing on the other side that fellowship creates opportunity for authentic repentance, for accountability. God, we struggle so much to be one. But countless times in your scripture, God, you call us to it. You call us to oneness in Christ Jesus and we want to be obedient to you. Would you do that in us? Encourage us. Bring us together. Make us get serious about prayer. I don't pray for all these hardships and these things that really draw us near, but God, I pray You will use them. The trials, the circumstances that often draw us to our knees, I pray we don't miss those opportunities. But I'm praying for us as a people that we would pray in the joy. We would praise You in the ups on the mountaintops, not just the valleys. We'd be the people of God in every moment and that You would make us one. Show us what real fellowship looks like again and again. God, I recognize that maybe someone has come in here today and they don't have fellowship with the body of Christ because first of all, they don't have fellowship with You yet. I pray today is the beginning of that. Beginning of that restored fellowship with God with You, with Christ Jesus, Your Son. And if that's You today, You've come here desiring to make peace with God, that You would know Him and trust Him and that He would lead Your life. If that's You today, You're feeling Him pressing in and moving in, I, I pray You would close the distance for Your part in prayer. And you can pray with me a simple prayer of confession. As Romans 10 says in verse 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And we stake our faith in that, that it's by faith we're saved. It's by an understanding of the Gospel, but moving that knowledge to the heart and putting Christ there on the throne. If that's you today, please pray with me. Simply this. Jesus, I believe You died on the cross for me. My sin, my brokenness, I've tried a lot of times, Lord Jesus, to walk my own path. and It's failed me many times. And I feel a sense of distance to You. And I don't want that anymore. Christ Jesus, I believe You paid for it. But the cross is more than enough for my brokenness. And I lay that at Your feet now, believing, Jesus, You are Lord of my life. You're in charge. You're a King. You're on the throne. And God, I believe You raised up Jesus from the grave. And Jesus, Your death and Your resurrection gives me amazing hope knowing that not only have You given me grace, but You've given me eternity. And another great piece of that, God, is that now we, me and You, can have oneness. God, I'm praying for that now. Would You do that in me? I want that fellowship with You. You're speaking into my life through prayer, through Your Word. Would You do that in me now? Guide my steps. Help me to know what you desire of me, where you desire me to go, what would you have me do with this life? We're all praying that right along with you, my friend. Welcome to the family of God if you prayed that. And we're praying as the fellowship of believers, God, make us one with you and then with one another. And would you use this church to set people free all throughout this city? Would you do a movement of God that only you can do and do it through us? We are your kids and we are obedient to your commands. We want to be on the journey with you wherever you send. I'm putting my yes on the table. I pray we're doing that as a church. Make us one in Christ Jesus. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.